0: The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground.
1: Welcome everyone. Nice to see folks tonight. In case you haven't been coming recently, just a reminder that for people who want a complimentary text to the talks that have been going on for about a month and probably... We'll continue for several months. We're using Guy Armstrong. He has a relatively new book out, Emptiness, a Practical Guide for Meditators. And uh, we asked Moon Palace Books to have copies for us, so you can pick one up. It's a nice independent bookstore about five or so blocks, maybe seven blocks south of here, at the corner of 33rd Street and Minnehaha Avenue. Um, so, pretty much straight south from here, Minnehaha's at an angle, and uh, I think you can hit it over here a couple blocks and then it will angle down south and uh, they'll give you a twenty percent discount on that book if you want to get it from them, but you don't need to read the book we'll be I'll be giving talks based on the different chapters we're looking at chapter three and four tonight this week and uh you know having discussions so you pick up enough content content just from the talks but some people like an additional study text and it's really a good book and if you know anything about the buddhist teachings you know this is a very central essential teaching that whatever it is that's happening here you know being this body and mind this body this activity body and mind the Buddha teaches that this experience is empty. And probably the best way to say this is it's empty of everything except this is being known. And from a point of view of me, this thing here, thinking about my life, it seems like there's a lot more here. You know, I've got my past, I've got my ideas of the future, I have my ideas about what's going on even right now in this room. But all of that can be simply reduced. You know, if we cultivate or train the mind to have this stable present moment awareness, nothing extraordinary, nothing weird, just a stable, clear, non-judging connection with what's coming and going in the present moment, An awareness that isn't dependent on our thoughts about things, right? Like I can, for example, wherever your hand is touching, in my case, I'm touching my thigh, I can tune into that contact, contact, right? That That sense experience of touch. And in no way do I need my thought, oh, yeah, that's my thigh, or my hand is touching my thigh, or this is stupid. I don't need any thought in order to be intimate with that experience. And generally speaking, my thoughts will just get in the way of the contact of a being intimate with, you know, if I were going to use thoughts, I'd call it pressure or weight or warmth or smoothness, or, you know, the different elements of that experience I'm calling sense contact. But it doesn't need language. We don't need language to be intimate with what's here and now, I don't need to tell myself that I'm at Common Ground to directly, immediately be aware that it's like this now. right? I don't need that story, I'm at Common Ground, or it's Sunday night, or this is Minnesota, or the year is 2017. I don't need any of those concepts to be real, to be intimate, to be connected, to be aware. And generally speaking, the concepts, this is Minnesota, I'm at Common Ground Meditation Center, my name is Mark Nunberg, I identify as a straight male. Those words, that story, actually the tendency of my mind when I repeat that or hear that is to get in this world of my thoughts about what's happening or who I am or what's going on and tend not to be as directly, immediately connected to seeing and hearing and touching and thoughts as thoughts, emotions as emotions being known. So there's this training, right? Uh, We cultivate a stable present moment awareness and then the Buddha gives us these teachings, this frame, right? As a counterweight to the tendency to be lost in our thoughts, to be living our life, through our fixed views, our strong beliefs, opinions, habits of perceiving, right? We have all this habit energy, which you know we could basically group or categorize as being lost in thought, or our reality, the way we experience mediated or dependent on language, on the thoughts and ideas and concepts we have. Now there's nothing fundamentally wrong with thought. Thought is just that mental activity, right? That's what that part of the mind does, it thinks. There's nothing wrong with thinking, but it's just easy to be confused by thoughts, to somehow imagine that thoughts are more than what they are. Like, if I had the thought, and I use this example a lot, I live over there, because I do, right? But it's easy to think that that thought refers to something. It's not so easy to see it as just a thought. When I see that that's just a thought, I'm not saying I don't live over there. I'm just saying the thought, I live over there, is just that, right? I'm not confused by that thought because I could say I live over there, you know, which in conventional reality is not correct, or unless you go really far, all the way around, <laughs> and then I guess it's sort of true. But generally speaking, it's not true, right? But I don't have to be confused by that thought either. Thoughts are just thoughts. That's just something. And some thoughts, you know, like and even if today, if we had a transcript of all of our thoughts. You know, a lot of our thoughts were just sort of off the wall, not really relevant to anything or direct lies or whatever. But in in our subjective experience, it's just a thought being known. And this is sort of uh, a challenge for us to rely on our direct, immediate, simple, subjective experience. And we have a way of dismissing subjective experience that somehow there's this better thing called objective experience. But you know, for us, objective experience would be something that we all agree on. Can we all agree we're at common ground? And it's basically a consensual story. But that story is not really related to the experience. You know, we could be sitting having a nice meal. Spaghetti, right? And we could have this consensual story, we're eating spaghetti. Everyone's in agreement, we're eating spaghetti, we're eating spaghetti. But that idea, I'm eating spaghetti, that's not the experience of eating spaghetti. So in Buddhist practice, what the Buddha's pointing to is cultivating this kind of mind that's stable, that understands how to connect with the present moment, Right? And I mentioned last week the six sense, sense gates. Right? These, these are the six ways we're sensitive. We, the mind or the mind through the body is sensitive to sound, to sight, to touch, to smell and taste. And the mind, or you could say heart, is also sensitive to the activity of the mind. So just to keep it simple, we have the activity of the body, the five physical senses, and we have the activity of the mind, And the mind can know these six things or these two categories of things, activity of the body and activity of the mind. And this is what we call our subjective experience. But is there anything other than our subjective experience? Anything whatsoever? What is not our subjective experience? We have the idea like your experience, But what is that? It's like seeing being known because I'm looking at somebody, and then the thought—it's a mental construction, you know. There's a guy over there who probably has experience. That's a thought being known, you know. And if I have some sort of arrogant certainty that the thought represents reality, then maybe there's like a visceral tension that goes with that arrogant certainty, and that's just sensation being known, right? So whatever experience we've ever had or having right now or will ever have it will be a subjective experience of the activity of the body and the activity of the mind being known and it's a real direct immediate challenge to the very big habit you know the habit that has a lot of momentum of being lost in our thoughts because our thoughts are very interesting And we can do amazing things and it's you know, the quite thinking is quite useful, especially for communication, connecting with each other, you know, checking out your story versus my story and coming finding some common ground around our stories or realizing we don't have any common ground around our stories. But in terms of learning, getting some clarity about the causes for stress and how to be free of stress, we need to rely on our subjective experience. And because of the habit of being lost in thought, over-relying on thought, forgetting or being confused about what thoughts are, there's going to be some pushback to the straining. I'm sure you've noticed. You know, So you come, you do, a, like we did tonight, about a 35-minute sit, or you sit at home, you may have the intention you know breathing in sensitive to the body just as it is breathing out sen- or whatever technique you're using to stabilize this present moment awareness or to have a continuity of present moment awareness so whatever your technique or training is it's very easy i mean th- it's t- for for sure easy just to kind of worry about your problems speculate about the future but even if you feel like you're practicing, often we're thinking about practicing, or we're imagining. We we might even have sort of mental images of practicing, like almost like we picture ourselves sitting and meditating, or sitting and being calm and meditating. It's like we've got a whole production facility in there, sort of telling stories, making internal videos about what we think is happening in the moment as if for some bizarre reason a more direct, immediate experiencing through the six sense gates or through the activity of the body and mind wasn't enough that we have to add this sort of second thing where we're narrating back through video, internal videos, like mental images and thoughts about what's happening. Joko Back has this uh, interesting story. I'm just going to open the window. She's a well-known Zen teacher. She died recently, maybe five or seven years ago. I'm not sure exactly. And uh, she talks about the superstructure we build. We have a perfectly fine house with a nice, nice big windows, nice door. And because we're neurotic human beings... We build another really nice house right on top of the existing house. And of course, we're living in the existing house. The other house is just slightly bigger, <laughs> just big enough to get around the first house. And all of a sudden, that first house becomes very dank, you know, dark, a little stifling because there's a second house built around it. right? And it's sort of like what we do we have this life that's being lived, we have this activity of the body and mind happening, 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 this capacity to be aware, but we also have this capacity to think, and the kicker is this capacity to be confused by the thoughts that are being thought. And so we start to construct another reality And we get confused, fall under the spell, get seduced by our thoughts, thinking thoughts are more than just thoughts. And all of a sudden, we're attached, identified with our thoughts as if our thoughts about me, our thoughts about Sunday, our thoughts about what's going on, my thoughts about you, are the reality. And when I'm attached to those thoughts, I'm disconnected to my actual life, which is, according to our subjective experience that the Buddha points us to, the activity of the body and mind being known. And that it never has to be more complicated than this being known. Sensation being known, sight being known, thought being known, Always that dance of those two things, something being known. And that something will either be the activity of the body, the five physical senses, or the activity of the mind. And things like emotion kind of include both, right? Generally emotion, a strong emotion will have a visceral, like some sensation with it. But often emotion have some mental content too, image or thought associated with the movement of emotion. But in the end, it's still just something being known. Now, can we live in that place? And what happens when we train ourselves to live in that place? That's the interesting question. And that's really what these teachings are all about. And to even begin, we have to, you know, what I've been calling subjective experience versus what we call objective experience. I think what the Buddha might say is, you know, all we can ever know is subjective experience. So let's just stop talking about (laughs) objective experience, right? Because even if we really feel like we're on the same page about something, you know, that's just a subjective experience. What else could it be? It's something being known. Like, oh yeah, we're really in sync here, you know because we're talking about something that's true, objectively true. That's just an experience being known. It's the activity of the body and the mind being known, here and now. Now, the key is to remember that that's all it is. So it's not about suppressing thoughts. It's about understanding thoughts are just thoughts being known. Emotion is just emotion being known. Sound is just sound being known. Sight is just sight being known touch is just touch being known and immediately like when we say that it feels threatening like what the, like I want to live you know I don't want to like do that but the the important thing to understand is that is w- what's already happening we don't have to do anything for that to be true so well it's the practice is really about recognizing that this, what we've already been experiencing, how we've already been experiencing life, the way it already is for us, that this way of living, however you're living, you know, whatever that feels like for you to be living how you're living, that is simply something being known and never has been more complicated than that. So again, we always feel like we have to reject the instructions because it seems like it's asking for us to go somewhere or to do something different. But it's really a transformation of how we understand what's already happening here. So it's just a shift in how we're understanding this. It's not about you or me having to change anything. It's just like getting clear of what's already here oh yeah, this is just something being known. So like during your day, not during a formal meditation time, and somehow you remember, oh yeah, there's this thing called mindfulness that I've been into lately. right? So you just get cued to be aware, to be mindfully aware. So it would be as simple as, well, what's the mind knowing? Oh, this is being known. This is being known. Like right now in this moment, whatever's happening is just something being known. Can you recognize that? And it doesn't mean you have to have a different moment now that you're going to practice, right? See, this is what we think, like, oh yeah, I'm practicing, I better find a moment to know. (laughs) But the thing is, it doesn't matter what the object is, the real task is to realize it's being known. It's just something being known. Not like what's being known, it doesn't matter if you're acting out in a really like bad way. The important thing is, in that moment, can the wisdom in the mind realize, oh yeah, this is something being known. It looks like this, it feels like this, it is like this. It's just this experience being known. But we have this idea like meditation is something I do. But it's actually more of a recognition. It's like a shift. A transformation of how to, you know, it's like if we're used to looking from a particular angle <coughs> at what we call my life, it's just a different angle on it. Oh, yeah, this is just something being known. This is just something being known. And of course, you don't need to repeat that phrase in your mind to know, like, to be curious what's the mind doing, what's the mind knowing. You don't need to ask yourself that question, but of course, every once in a while it might be helpful to break the spell of being spinning in your thoughts, obsessing, planning, worrying and just wonder, well what's what's the mind doing? What's the mind knowing? Oh, planning. You know? And then generally when there's a very clear and non judgmental Reflective knowing, oh yeah, this is being known. Things tend to quiet down, at least initially. It's like everybody hides. Somebody's watching. (laughs) You know, don't do anything. Have you noticed that? Sometimes, like especially during the day when you have a moment of being aware and all of a sudden, like all your neurotic qualities sort of hide. It's like not wanting to be caught by the teacher or your partner, you know if <laughs> partner comes home quickly shut the computer down pick up a book <laughs> or whatever you do you know hide the food <laughs> pull out the vacuum cleaner <laughs> and so in this practice we don't have to cheat we don't have to hide we just Oh yeah, so it's like this now. It's like this now. And if there's some shame or embarrassment, okay, now it's like this. This is being known. So this mirror, this part of the mind that can be reflectively aware, you know, that we call awareness or mindful awareness or present moment, uh, present moment presence, or something like that. This mirror like part of the mind, it really doesn't care what's happening in front of it. We just need to remember this capacity to be reflectively aware. And if we can stabilize it, like really build the momentum, build that new habit to be have that present moment awareness, everything begins to change. Because the habit of you know any kind of attachment, any sort of fixation, you know, holding tight to opinions, anytime we're really angry or frustrated or self-righteous, anytime we're really greedy, thinking like, if only then I'll be happy, all of that kind of fixed uh, ideas that we mostly live with, they simply don't hold up that fixedness, that what in Buddhism we call grasping or clinging or attachment, It just can't hold up when the mind sees things as they are. It's just something being known. And especially when the mind and seeing things as they are, something being known, something being known. What really begins to dawn on the mind is that everything is changing. Things come and go. And in that coming and going, one thing is being known, this is being known, this is being known. And that rapidity of change Nothing seems very personal. Nothing actually seems worth grasping. The heart gets really light, less attached, less fixed, less arrogantly certain about anything. doesn't mean we don't have opinions. It doesn't mean we don't care about justice, care about the suffering in the world, care enough to wash our dishes or clean the tub after we use the shower or whatever It just means nothing seems as burdensome as it did before. It's just the next thing being known, right? The impulse to do or the impulse to refrain from doing. Okay, that's being known. And this whole idea of me having to do everything gets replaced with something being known. It's like, you know, tomorrow's Monday. Some of you who have weekends free, you know, Monday can feel a little bit like, "Oh, I got to do Monday," right? but that's a thought being known. I mean, what actually, you know, when Monday comes, if ever it feels like there's something you have to do that you want you don't want to do, it really helps to realize that that's just a thought. And if there's a lot of like emotional heaviness, it's really helpful to realize. That's just that feeling being known. It's not more. Like it, It's not this whole story of somebody who's had this whole past and has this whole future. Right? It, that story is not true. What's true is sensations being known. You know, that sensation of things being heavy. And if a story, if some thoughts come up about me who's depressed or me who has a hard life, those are thoughts being known. And this, you know, this is kind of challenging, you know, especially if you bring up times when you, you know, going through a divorce, you're in poverty, you're being oppressed or abused in different ways in a relationship or by society, which is clearly the case, right? People at different times in their life, some people a lot of the time of their life experience really difficult circumstances, often unfairly mistreated. And this isn't about like, is that fair? The question is, when that's true for us, like we're going through a really challenging time, what is the skillful way to show up or the skillful way to understand it? And the same is true like when we're going through a really good time. Everything seems to be going our way, people like us. What is the skillful way to understand? What is the skillful way to connect with that experience? If, something, if it's a really good time, the habit will be to grasp it. Oh, like I'm saved because I've got money in the bank and people like me and I'm healthy and to hold on to it. And that's stressful. To cultivate being dependent on favorable circumstances, to cultivate that dependency is stressful. To hate the unfavorable, to continue to tell a story, a a heavy story, a a painful story about difficult circumstances is stressful. To see everything from the painful, the neutral, the, um, the pleasant, as something being known, is liberating. So I mentioned last week, there are two ways that we do this. right? There's the Sixth Sense Gate, so just getting really familiar. And you can just reflect on this both in a formal meditation time, but also just during the day. Like when life seems really overwhelming, it's very helpful if you have a little bit of space to just remind yourself, you know what, honey? This moment is not more than these six things being known. So let's just see if this is true. There's seeing being known, check. <laughs> right? There's hearing being known, check. Smelling and tasting to whatever degree being known, check. Sensations being known, including the subtle, like visceral, emotional sensations, right? Tightness in the throat, nausea in the, in the gut. Whatever it is, just sensations being known. And then there's mental activity. Be numb. And so when it feels really heavy, deconstruct what seems unbearable, like feeling overwhelmed by life, deconstruct it in these six ways and see what the actual effect is. Don't try to figure out whether that would be a useful thing intellectually. Check it out. You really have to check it out. And uh, the related way to do that is to group the five physical senses as one thing, body, or form, sometimes it's translated as, but it's really just the sensitivity of these five physical senses, and then the mind. So this is the five, it's called five aggregates, it's sort of a funny word. But the Buddha wanted to make it, I think, you know, there's different ideas from the scholars why he used this word khanda as the Pali word for uh, these five things. So the body, and then four aspects of the mind. (coughs) And he broke the mind down into four categories because it really helps us to be a little bit less seduced or confused by the activity of the mind. But I think he used the word aggregate because he wanted to make it ordinary. It's like the stuff of the present moment. is always these five aggregates. The activity of the body and the activity of the mind. And in particular, noticing the activity of perceiving recognizing, right, the activity of the feeling that arises with each sense contact, sense experience, right? Whenever you perceive something or see something or hear something, there's a feeling tone. And that's a mental thing like, oh yeah, I like that, or I don't like that, I don't really care about it, it's neutral. Right? So perception, feeling, and then this sort of more general category of mind called mental formations mental constructions so when i see morris sitting in front of me right that's the visual form i see it and immediately the memory or the recognition kicks in and the mind knows that's morris and even if i were looking at someone i've never seen before right the me- that memory would kick in i don't know that person that's also a perception right i'm perceiving like i don't recognize this person that's a perception So perception and then feeling tone, like, oh, I like Morris. It's nice, it feels good to see him here tonight. And then mental formation is like all my past experience that relates to this guy comes to the fore in the mind. You can't help that. You can't help any of those aspects of mind. Can you stop yourself from perceiving? Can you stop yourself from having a feeling with each sense contact? And can you stop your mind from constructing you know, conceptual material based on past conditioning? And usually that construction, that me- those mental formations, lead to an intention like, oh, I want to talk to Morris about this, or, you know, I want to tell Morris that, or I don't have anything I need to say to Morris. But there's some kind of, leads to some sort of action which Remember, not doing anything is an action. Like, oh yeah, we're clean here. Don't need to say anything to you. right? So that's the mental formation. It's all the related material. Moves around, comes to the surface. And then the the fourth aspect of the mind is consciousness. So we have perceiving, feeling, constructing, leading to intending sometimes and then consciousness, knowing. And this is mine, these four things. So the five aggregates, the Buddha is saying, yeah, there are these activities. These activities are nature, not self. Because no matter how we investigate these five things, can you find me or mine in it? It seems like, you know, in a conventional terms, we say this activity this activity of the body and mind is me, is Mark. And it's fine to use, you know, conventional language. Of course, we'd be weird if we didn't. But from our, from my subjective experience, there is no me here. There's no I here. There's just thinking being known, seeing being known, hearing being known, touching being known, smelling and tasting being known. Right? There's the activity of the body and mind being known. There's perceiving, feelings, mental constructions, consciousness, illuminating these things. That's what this is. No, no, but there's me. However, wherever we think the me or mine or I is, when we directly, subjectively see that experience, know that experience, it's just something being known, isn't it? Can you see? Can you point to the self or find the self? You know, you, you might do something like, "Yeah, I'm right here," or "I'm right here," or you know, whatever somebody might do. But all of that, when observed in a balanced way, is just something being known: thinking being known, hearing being known, touching being known. But that doesn't mean it's our habit. Our habit is to let the thoughts define things and trust that definition that the thoughts give to the moment. Isn't it that true? That, that that's our habit. We're more comfortable resting in the, you know, in the story, in the shape that our thoughts about things construct in this moment. So we're cultivating a taste for things being more simple and cool. We're we're really this particular. And then, you know, there's different trainings the Buddha suggests, but this particular training, it's really we're using the stability of present moment awareness to to cultivate wisdom that transforms our view or transforms our understanding. And the basic method is to use that stability of present moment awareness to keep deconstructing the present moment as something being known and use a simple division of body being known, the five physical senses, and mental activity being known. And so whenever, you know, if we get good at this, build some momentum with this, then nothing would be outside of this. And then like I mentioned earlier, to really check out, are you able to be a good human being, an engaged human being, a loving friend, a nimble employee, uh, You know, whatever you do in your life, does this in any way get in the way of being a functional human being? Doing this deconstruction, really emphasizing this, like developing the habit of present moment awareness. What's the downside of this? And with that, I'll leave it for discussion, for your questions. So comments, questions, what comes to mind in this? What are your own experiences? Yeah, you want to start us off, Kermit? Um, this is about mental images and kind of tying in with the last book that we studied. Um just want to preface my question with a question: um, Awareness, um, awareness just reflects. It doesn't. It doesn't care whether something is beautiful or terrible. It just reflects. Correct. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, the instruction is to um, shift your attention from from the object of awareness to awareness itself how do I know I'm looking at awareness or just something that I'm contriving or imagining? How do I know what
0: I'm looking at?
1: Yeah, but there's only one way to know awareness, and that's because an object is being known. Right? So the present moment, like this moment here for each of us, whatever it is, if it's a sight or a thought that's being known, but whatever's happening in the moment, whatever's being known... The object is there, and the awareness is there. They're not like in two different locations, right? I mean, remember, whatever it is we're doing, the experience that we're investigating is right here. So you never have to feel like, I do the Buddhist thing, but I need a different experience in order to do it. So whatever the Buddha is pointing to, or whatever our teachers are pointing to, they're pointing to the exact experience that we're having. Like whatever we're meant to do in practice, this moment of our experience will do. So if we're learning to recognize this or any moment as something being known, we're recognizing, we're trying to recognize what's already true. So we we'll just get closer and closer to what is already happening for you. right? This is just something being known. And generally speaking, it's more simple than you think. Like we tend to want to overthink it. Yeah. This is already something being known, but can we recognize it as something being known? Yeah. Thanks, Kermit. What else comes to mind? Questions? Hi Mike. Um this may be a little esoteric, but if the if the knowing is is what's constant why can't the self be the knowing? Mm-hmm. But who said the knowing's constant? Well, it's, yeah, usually it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the point is to um, connect or be aware, be intimate, see things as they are, and to notice what the effect is. What the Buddha tells us and what our teachers tell us If we cultivate an honest, kind, present moment awareness, an awareness that isn't dependent on our thoughts about things, that good things start to happen. Now, first of all, cultivating present moment awareness shouldn't strike us as being like a weird or, you know, like dangerous thing for us to do. So it's like okay to check it out. And then just see what happens in our life when we have this more steady, simple present moment awareness. And you'll see, because I see it in my own life, I've seen it in so many students and my teachers, there's just less and less attachment, less and less psychic weight we're dragging around as we do the ordinary twists and turns of living. As opposed to when people haven't cultivated that training or just naturally more lost in thought, more caught up, more attached, it's pretty easy to see that they suffer, those beings. And when we're that being, we suffer a lot when there's less of the mindful awareness. Yeah, thanks, Mike. I'd like to go next. Questions or comments, experiences from your own practice that feel appropriate to share in the group? Yeah, please, all the way in the back. Hi, my name is Brian. I was just wondering, how do you develop the knowing without becoming passive or just an observer, I guess? Yeah, say that again just because people maybe didn't hear you. How do you develop the knowing without becoming a passive observer? Yeah, yeah it's a, an important question and almost every week or so, every couple of weeks, somebody asks a similar question and, and appropriately because it feels like If I'm really investing in this ongoing kind of reflective awareness, something is being known, something is being known, who the heck is going to do my life, live my life, make choices, do the things that need to be done in the world? So this is why it's important to check it out because you might find that And this is, it gets confusing because the ritual of sitting still and formal meditation is such a big part of the tradition. But that's because we need kindergarten. We need to learn how to be in this reflective place when it's relatively easy so we can take it on the road when we go to work or interact with our partner or, you know, do whatever we do in life. So the question is to see, because there's nothing in. This is being known that either suppresses action or initiates action. So you're neither for nor against any kind of action action of thought, action of speech, or action of, you know, physically doing something. We're neither for nor against it. So the question is do you need to do your life? This idea, do you need that idea of me doing my life? For you to get up in the morning, for you to make breakfast, for you to do this and to do that? Or is that intention already built into the system? You know, like what I mentioned, the third category of the mind, right? So the mind is just operating. You don't, like I said before, you know, it's not like you can really tease these four things out. It's kind of like you're looking at the activity of the mind from different angles. You look from this angle and you're kind of tuning in to the fact that the mind is perceiving, it's recognizing, right? You look over here and you realize the mind is feeling. It has a feeling tone associated with each experience. Or that there's all this mental construction. Where that third one about mental construction, it's like how this activity of the mind is generating intention to do all the time. You don't have to do that. Your mind, like if you looked at that activity that led to you asking the question or making the comment, you might, in terms of conventional language, say that I did that. But actually, if you just observed what happened, you would see that that intention arose, and the you know, and you rose, you raised your hand, and the mic came, and you said the, what you had to say, that all that just sort of happened, due to causes and conditions, and it could have been observed in a way that wouldn't have suppressed it or f- made it happen or been dependent on it happening. And this is really great because our this is why life starts to feel lighter and lighter because we realize there isn't a somebody doing our life. When we say it's nature, not self, right? as a sort of basic Buddhist teaching, we mean it. I mean, that's actually the experience. Like, it's happening. There's still, like in a conventional language, you know, me doing my life, except it feels less and less, especially in some moments, like there's actually a somebody who has to do it, giving a talk or responding to a comment or whatever it might be. And it's such a relief. Like those of you who are parents, it's such a torment to feel, I'm a parent. I'm responsible for raising this kid or these kids as opposed to this is happening, this is being known, this is interesting, right? It's interesting how it's playing itself out. Heaven at times, hell at times, right? Ambiguous at other times. Same with relationship, same with trying to save the planet, save democracy, save whatever, fight racial injustice. It's like, wow, it's happening or not happening, but it's always in motion, right? Life, our life, concentric—you know all these concentric circles of community, things happening. It's a little arrogant to think that we're all doing this. I mean, it's happening. And w- if we have the story that I'm doing it, then we also have the story that I'm exhausted or that I'm ashamed of how I'm doing it or I'm proud of how I'm doing it. And it all gets very heavy very quickly, all taking it personally. Thanks for the question. Comments, how about a a non-male person? Yeah, (laughs) thanks.
0: Hi, um, I'm Glenda, and uh, I guess I had a follow-up question to that, which is um, I've been noticing for a while that you could say present moment awareness is really helpful Skillful for me engaging with anger um it helps me refrain from reacting um, I also notice that um, I'm getting nervous, and my mind isn't blank hold on um, when um, when i I also notice that I struggle with um like speaking up for myself sometimes, a lot of times. And um, it doesn't seem... I I don't know how... And maybe it's like you're not supposed to use it to do something, but it's like I, I notice that, but it doesn't... I don't notice any change in the same way that I notice change around my actions with anger, if that makes sense. I don't... It doesn't... I'm not like, oh, I'm not speaking up, so I should speak up. I just notice...
1: But but even knowing that that's interesting to you that you're not speaking up because we just keep getting interested and remember you even though you might have kind of a general sense, Glenda, that I'm not speaking up enough. <clears throat> we don't we're not attached to that idea. It's just like a working hypothesis. We're holding it lightly. It's really okay to have sort of ideas because right, it's useful. And idea having an idea like I'm not really speaking up too much or maybe I'm talking too much, you know, that may be something I might say. And uh or an idea that I might have. And then that idea can be skillfully used like to pay attention more clear clearly pay attention like what's emotion, what feeling is there, what fear is there, what unmet need might be there, what force of habit might be there. So a a good question like that can help the mind pay attention in a more honest, non-judging way to all the activity of the mind and body when we're in a situation where we might either speak up or keep quiet. And just to see what's there. Because the real question is, is there suffering being set in motion or not? Right? And so that's probably why you're interested in the question because we're really interested in, like, is the keeping quiet a cause for suffering? You know, things getting bottled up or things getting, you know, repressed in some way. Or the relationship not as healthy as it might be, not as real or honest as it might be. So we just need to keep watching and we trust that awareness will reveal everything even if it doesn't fit our initial hypothesis right so maybe what had maybe like for some people what might have to happen is seeing realizing they don't have to be afraid of speaking up but they they may not speak up more but they've uprooted the fear of speaking up So it doesn't mean that we have to be a different person or have a different personality. We just don't want our personality to be an expression of fear right, or an expression of greed. We want our personality to be an expression of freedom. But that doesn't mean we're going to be all the same as we become more free. We, We might have different dispositions. But the disposition isn't an expression of Holding or tightness or fear or, or any kind of contracted state. Does that make sense? I remember I got my first sort of lesson around gender issues from a wise friend. This is like I, I was nineteen, I think, in college, and one of my friends, a woman, said to me, "Just this thing about you know being equal and being the same." and this is really important as we unpack the present moment and we're aware of like so many things in our culture like patriarchy or you know just the way power works in our culture and how much suffering and oppression comes from these old patterns you know unseen unquestioned patterns but we have to have a lot of open mindedness as we unpack and heal racial injustice gender and Sex, you know, around sex, sex roles, um, that what that's going to look like. We don't really know when things are loosened up how it's all going to play out. All we know is there's a lot of suffering and a lot of rigidity in the system, right? A lot of unseen things in the system that we can kind of sense just observing our own mind. But who we become. We don't really know what that's going to look like, but it will be interesting to see, you know, whether you speak more, or you speak less, or when you do speak, you rock the world. But you know, you don't speak very much, or you become chatting all the time. I mean, it, you don't really know what's going to unfold, what moves, what needs to move in our personality. We 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 only li- see a a little bit of the surface, but there's a lot of latent tendencies which, you know, unless people, I don't know, have psychic powers, we don't really see all the unfinished business or all the healing that might need to move in us. We need to leave it here, it's 8.30, so we'll just take a second or two, let go of the words, just enough time to take a breath or two. not to worry if some of what was said tonight was confusing, like I mentioned, it's really okay to let go of the words. Trusting the wisdom that's growing, deepening in our own heart and mind. Simply committing to being interested and in particular interested in the causes for stress and suffering, interested in the causes for the release of stress and suffering in our hearts and in the world. Thanks again everyone for coming.
0: This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website,